Hi, and welcome to Sunday morning service here at the River Christian Fellowship as we continue on in our study through the book of Genesis. This most amazing book that Jesus quoted more from than any other Old Testament book gives it great credibility, not only in how we all got here, where we're all going, but really the blueprint for what God will do in the future. You know, in these days that we live in, shutdowns and everything like that. And as we prepare to try to get open back up here at the River Christian Fellowship in the next few weeks, we want to once again encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, the world doesn't have any answers for all the things that are going on. But we know that these things that have happened in the last few months have really caused a lot of people to begin to question their eternity. And what would happen if I got a disease and died? And so I really believe that the opening for us to share our faith and to let people know how much God loves them is probably never been at a greater time. And so, of course, you can always tell your friends to listen to CSN and, of course, watch Facebook to Every Man and Answer and also these these, uh, recordings that we put on so people can study along in the Bible with us. But the Bible's really important in these days that we live in. Not positive confession, not self-realization, not motivational speaking, but the Word of God is what we need to hear. Now, people say, well, how does that work? Well, all I can tell you is this. God's Word is stronger, more powerful than any two-edged sword. And when we ask God to come and make His Word come alive to us, Man, great things happen when we study God's Word together. So this morning, before we begin to read, let's pray. And I'm so glad you've tuned in. Be sure to let your friends know that we're on every uh, Sunday morning at 1030. And of course, these are archived, so you can always watch them at a later date. And then they're also rebroadcast on CSN on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock Mountain Time. And so Let's just pray and ask the Lord to bless this time together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and thank you for our gathering that we have here today. Transcends the miles, transcends the the social distancing. God, we just thank you that we are able to gather together in this way, even though it's a little different, but Lord, we can study your word together. So as we spend this time now reading your word, may you Bless it to our hearts and let us see the great picture, the great plan that you had not only for, from, for Abraham, but also for all of us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said before, we're going through the book of Genesis and we're now in Genesis chapter 18. We remember the last time we were together that God had appeared to Abram and told him that he was going to have a son with Sarah and that they were going to be a great nation. Well, again, this seemed to be pretty unbelievable. Now, God said that earlier, going back to Genesis chapter 12, but now we're in chapter 18, and this is really the second time God appeared to Abram, uh, Abraham within the last three months, because uh, the preceding chapter said within the year he would have a son, and now we find that she is not yet pregnant. So it had to be within the three months of the last appearance in the previous chapter. Well, let's look at this together. Chapter one, excuse me, verse one of chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to him by the Tiburneth trees, a memory, and he was setting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now, 
uh, I think this is kind of interesting. The Lord appeared to him. Now, again, this isn't the first time. It's not even the second time. It's the third time that God appeared to him. So by this time, it may very well be possible that Abraham recognized who he was. And so he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. So evidently, Abraham recognized most likely the Lord and the other two, the angels that were with him. We're going to find out a little bit about more about those angels as we finish towards the end of this chapter. And he said, my Lord, now if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. This was a very much a, um, a tradition and a act of courtesy and acceptance in those days, as it was in the days of Jesus. And we remember that when Jesus went into the house of the Pharisee, Mary Magdalene came in and washed Jesus' feet with a poured perfume on him and washed uh, his feet with her hair. And Jesus said, when I came in, you didn't offer to wash my feet. You didn't. But here this woman has. So we know that it was a custom, even up to the time of Jesus, to refresh somebody in this way. Now, again, the roads weren't sidewalks. They weren't paved. They weren't even gravel, for that matter. Uh, and so you didn't have to walk very far. And in the heat of the day, uh, your feet would get, your legs would get sweaty and dirt would stick to them. And I imagine they could get pretty incrustrated by the end of the day. So here Abraham, Abraham offers to him this, uh, this malevolent act of kindness to him. But this isn't all that he was going to do. Now, he says, don't pass me by. I think Abraham knew that the Lord had come to him for a reason. God always does that. God comes to us for a reason. Uh, and I, again, if it isn't for encouragement, if it isn't that to bless you, it sometimes is to just remind you that you're his child and God wants to do great things in your life. And so he says, please let me get you a little water. And so, and I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass by inasmuch that you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So this met with uh, the Lord's approval. It met with the angelic approval as well. And um, again, um, Abraham was, was one that responded to obvious uh, human need. And I think that's always a good thing for us as people who love God to respond to obvious human need. You know, sometimes that can be mowing your next door neighbor's lawn because they broke their leg. Sometimes it's picking up some trash in the church parking lot. Sometimes it's just a kind word or holding a door open for somebody as they go into a store. But I believe that, again, people that love Jesus should be really the most courteous and, and really the most, most have the most manners of any people around because it's exemplified in the way that we live our lives. Now, I know that we don't always do that. But if we can learn from our past, learn what to do and sometimes what not to do, 
I think it's going to make a better testimony for all of us as we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And it is interesting to me that Abraham recognized the need and he responded to it. Something else I think is interesting is that dirt stuck to the angel's feet, maybe even the Lord's feet. When he came and walked this earth during his ministry, we see a lot of things that went on, but it seems that it's the same Lord. And we know the Bible says, no man has seen God at any time and lived. Speaking of the Father, but I believe this is a picture of a a Christophany of Jesus in the Old Testament. And there were many, and and Moses, excuse me, and uh, uh, Jesus referenced this in John chapter 8. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. And they said to Jesus, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was, I am. Now, the Pharisees, first of all, knew exactly what Jesus was saying. You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. So they clearly understand that Jesus was speaking of his pre-existence to him being born in Bethlehem. This is very important, and this contradicts a lot of the cults saying that Jesus did not exist until he was born in Bethlehem. Number two, that he was only in the mind of God. He really didn't exist. That's what the cults say. But for those who truly study the Bible and understand the triunity of God, even going back to Genesis chapter 1, where the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God there is the word Elohim. And it's speaking of a plurality of God. Actually, a triunity of God. And so, understanding that when he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, every time it's plural. He wasn't speaking to the angels. He was speaking, and they were they were conversing within themselves in this uh, triunity of God. And we find it, again, in the very first uh, uh, verse of the Bible. So here we find, again, Abraham hastened quickly to the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. So kind of like a pita bread, if you will. Uh, making them. And he's, Abraham also said, ran to the herd, took a tender good calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. I like that. It shows that not only were they in physical human form, but it also showed that they ate as well. Now, I think that's kind of a good thing because, uh, again, one of the things we look forward to in heaven is that there's the marriage supper of the Lamb, which means in heaven we're still going to get to eat. I like that. I like food. You know, I found out a couple of things. As you get older in life, sometimes you don't care how high it flies. You don't care how fast it goes. It's, uh, well, how's it taste? So food is still going to be a cool thing in heaven, something that we look forward to. And he says in verse 9, And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? Now this is important, because at this point, only only 
Uh, there was no discussion. Only God would know the name of his wife, Sarah. And so they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? You know, uh, something always to remember. He knows your name. You know, I think that day when um, Jesus came to town and little, little um, um, Zacchaeus, this little short tax collector, um, was running and he uh, was trying to see Jesus. And because of the crowd, he couldn't see over everybody. So the Bible says he ran down and climbed up into a sycamore tree and was hanging out of the tree. And Jesus is going along and he looks up at Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I must have dinner with you at your house tonight. Uh, again, going back to the food thing, uh, Jesus liked dinner so much, he, he even invited himself to dinner at Zacchaeus's house. But what's more astounding than that, he looked up at the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I'm surprised Zacchaeus didn't fall out of the tree. He knew my name. Well, here you find that God knew Abraham's wife's name, Sarah. God knows your name as well. You're no stranger to God. And so that's one of the reasons why when we come to him, we know that God's going to forgive us because God, well, you know, God, you never really picked me. You'd never let me be part of your kingdom if you knew all the bad things I've done in my life. God knows all those bad things and still calls us to be in his family. That's love. That's God's love. That's not predicated upon your or my performance. That's predicated upon his love, just as I am, without one plea. So as we look at this, he said, where's your wife, Sarah? And he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of her childbearing. So she was past menopause. She was listening in, eavesdropping on the conversation. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. Now, we remember the previous chapter, Abraham laughed. Now we find Sarah laughing as well at the promises of God. Wow. It's kind of hard, isn't it? When you, when you stop to think that God says something and it's so good that it doesn't seem possible. The, the, the promise was something that they always wanted. They always wanted a child. And now, well advanced in years, uh, Abraham, 100 years old, Sarah in her 90s, and they hear the news they're going to have a child? Hey, you know, is there room for, for this baby in the old folks' home? I mean, this is the kind of thing that went through their minds. I mean, we're old, advanced in years. So it says, she laughed within herself saying, after I've grown old, shall I have this pleasure? And my Lord being old also? So she says, for both Abraham and myself, could such a thing really be? Now, it's interesting that the little boy that they had was named Isaac. And Isaac in the Hebrew means laughter. And you think of that for a minute, and I've always looked at that, oh, the laughter, uh, the joy that Isaac brought Abraham and Sarah. 
But then as I really began to look at it, and I, I didn't read this in a commentary, this is something I just believe the Lord kind of showed me, was also, it's a reminder not to laugh at God's promises, not to laugh at what God said he would do in your life in the future. So every time I believe that Abraham and Sarah called their son Isaac, come here, laughter. I bet you they thought, yes, he's brought a lot of joy in my life. And I remember when I laughed at God because I didn't think he'd ever do anything this nice for me. See, I think sometimes God does that. I think sometimes God um, does two things. He reminds us of his goodness and he reminds us sometimes of our lack of faith or our unbelief. You see, one of the things you'll always find in the Bible, more mentioned than probably many of the other things that we in the Christian world deem so important, is to remember. The Old Testament says, remember the hole from which you were dug and the pit from which you were drawn. Remember all the times that God was faithful in the past and he'll be faithful to you in the future. And sometimes we laugh at those things and we think about that and we go, how can these things be? But yet God does. So not only does God remind us of his goodness, but he sometimes reminds us how our dependency has got to be upon him, not on ourselves. Because on ourselves, well, we just laugh at the promises of God is the way the problem is. So the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And this is a question that the Lord asked Abraham. And it's a question I believe God would ask all of us this morning. Is there anything too hard for God? Wow, you think about that. Dreams that were long gone, long forgotten, those little things in your heart that I believe maybe even God put in your heart when you were younger. You're saying, oh, I'm old now. Those things can never be. You know, God's got a way of doing things that you don't know. I don't want to put God in a box. You know, many people, their God's too small. This God here that says, is there anything too hard for me? I believe if it's God's will, God will open the, the windows of heaven to make it happen. Always remember that. God is not limited by oftentimes our laughter or our lack of faith. People have often said, well, you just got to have faith. Well, Jesus said that too, but it wasn't in the amount of faith. See, this is where a lot of the positive confession people get way, way off in their doctrine. Well, you just need to have more faith, brother. Really? Then why did Jesus say, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, the, the size of a mustard seed, almost hard to even see uh, what, a, what a mustard seed even is. If you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. It would be done unto you. So is it the quantity of faith? Is it the faith that's in God's will? or the amount of faith that I brag about. I've seen people, they well, want to believe God for a car or a house or whatever, and they cut it out, stick it on the refrigerator, and every time they walk by the refrigerator, I'm claiming that picture of that car on the refrigerator. 
You know, I've got a lot of faith. I'm going to do faith-building exercises. Jesus said if you had just a minuscule bit of faith, but if it's in God's will, it will happen. I like that about God. Because as you look at this for both Abraham and Sarah right now, as we read this, they didn't have any faith in this. They didn't have any faith that they were going to have a son named Isaac. They were too old. They were past their age of childbearing for Sarah. Maybe uh, Abraham's nerves were past the age of having children as well. Well, whatever it was, is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Wow. Unbelievable words. Hey, (laughs) Abraham couldn't sit around and say, wow, my big faith brought this into being. You know what the Bible says? Jesus Christ, the author, finisher of your faith. Wow. Even the little faith that I've had sometimes in my life really was inspired by God. He's the one that put it in our hearts. And so oftentimes we think that, well, God's not going to be able to get it done unless I've got this great faith. The Bible again says, faith of a grain of a mustard seed, so minuscule, but yet if it's in God's will, if you're a willing servant, God will make it happen. Verse 15, look at this. Now you say, well, I guess they had a little bit of faith. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. You know, we can't fool God. We just can't fool God. I think that's one of the best things about being a Christian. You see, when you're not a Christian, we always think we're fooling God. Well, you know, God, I'm really not that bad, you know. I'm not as bad as the guy next door, the guy down the street. Um, We always try to justify ourselves. But we're never fooling God. You can fool your neighbors, you can fool your wife, your kids, your family, your people at work. You're never going to fool God. God knows you. And again, this is what is so astounding in the Bible. God, knowing us, still chose us to be part of his team. You say, well, Mike, how do I know God's chose me? Accept him today as your Savior, and you know he did. Well, I I don't know if he has. Well, you'll never know unless you pray and ask him into your life. So do that. What do you got to lose? You know, a lot of tears, a lot of sorrow, and you can, you can, not have to try to fool God anymore. See, the angel, the Lord, brought that out, said, Sarah, no, you did laugh. God knows. But you know what's really amazing? God, in the next verse, says, and because you laughed, I'm going to punish you. No, not at all. You know what God did? He went ahead and we'll read on, she got to have her baby. Here's what I'm saying. Realize that God's a good God. He loves you. Because he loves you, he died in your place. Now, again, somebody would say, well, God could just forgive sin. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? God could just forgive sin. Uh, You're a sinner. You're guilty. You're forgiven. 
But then would God be good? Because there's been a transgression with no recompense or no fixing the problem. If God could carte blanche, forgive sin, things that I did wrong, things that you did wrong, God wouldn't be good because he'd be overlooking what we did wrong. So Jesus came, paid the price for our sin. Now the debt's paid in full. Now God is fully justified to forgive us and still be righteous. You see, that's why Jesus had to come. All this is a legal deal, man. It isn't willy-nilly, oh, uh, righteousness is kind of how you define it. No, it's, it's pretty straightforward. People have often said, well, how's God going to judge the world? How's God going to judge me someday? This book tells you. That's why it's important you know it. And so she laughed. But you know what the Bible here says? It says that he continued to love her and bless her just as he said he would. Now, verse 16, we get into the second part of the visitation of the Lord and these two angels. Then a man arose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abram went with them to send them on their way. Again, a very cordial thing to do. Um, I've seen, you know, years ago, my uncle, we'd go over to my uncle's house. And he was always so cordial. He'd come out, we'd be in the car, and he'd sit there and talk to us really as long as we, when we were sitting in the car talking to us through the window as it was when we were actually sitting in his home. Some people call it guest lag. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But the thing is, is it, it was, it's a very cordial thing. It isn't like, okay, we're done here. See ya, like you made some kind of a business transaction. But it's that you really care about the person. You really cared about them. So you'd walk them out to the car. That was a cordial thing to do. And it's something that, that we've always done in, in my family. And, and so, you know, well, you know, there's the door. See yourself out. Uh, that's not really much in the way of mannerisms. And you don't know what the Lord might speak to you to say to that person, whether it's, well, God, give you a safe trip home or, or is there anything else I need to pray for you about? Lots of things happen in fellowship. Well, he says here, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram, Abraham what I am doing? Now, this is interesting to me because Jesus said this as well in the New Testament. He says, henceforth, I'll no longer call you servants. I'll call you friends because a servant does not know what his master is doing. Tells me a couple of things. One, God likes to not keep secrets with his people. I think that's why we have the book of Revelation and Daniel and Jeremiah, things on the end times. But it also tells me that when you're friends of God, God includes you in his plan. I like that. So we look at this. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm, what I'm going to do? Verse 18, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. So shall I hide this from this great patriarch is what they're saying. By the way, God will use you in a great way too. I don't think God's going to hide back from you what he's about to do either. For I have known him. 
in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has spoken to him. So he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do since I'm going to make him a great nation and how righteous does make a difference? You see, God was on the verge of judging Sodom and we also find Gomorrah as well as an example of what happens to nations that reject God. So if you're going to be the leader of a great nation, it's God's good pleasure to teach you as his child what being a good leader is, what God will bless, what God will curse. So he says to him, verse 20. Now, these are some verses that I understand, but I don't know how they come about, okay? You can call me on to every man and answer and ask me this question, and I'll be able to tell you on the air, I don't know. So, okay. Verse 20. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. Let's look at this again. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. Who is crying out? The Bible doesn't tell us. I checked a lot of commentaries. It doesn't say. Are these the watchers that the Bible talk about that watch the things that go on the earth and report to God? I don't know. Maybe it was people that were in these towns, though they weren't very many, maybe only one or two. Maybe it could have been a uh, lot. Maybe, uh, or maybe it could have been lot, one of Lot's kids. I don't know. Crying out saying, oh God, this is horrible. Now we find something similar to this Mentioned in Revelation chapter 6, where there's a lot of martyrdom going on during the tribulation period. When we get to the fifth seal, a lot of martyrdom going on. People that miss the rapture become a believer in Christ Jesus during the reign of the Antichrist. And the Bible says that they were martyred and they should wait a little while longer till the rest of their brethren would join them. Um, until the, their, this, this judgment was, was finished on them. And so when you look at, at, at this in, in Revelation chapter 6, uh, this judgment uh, uh, of God upon the world. And one of the things that they said was, how long, O Lord, holy and true, before you avenge our blood on these people, basically, that killed them. Uh, how long will you wait? So we really find that uh, the judgments of God are very unusual. Uh, and, and this is why I believe, again, that it isn't three and a half years of God's wrath on the earth. I view all of the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, of God dealing with his nation of Israel, that final seven-week period of time, and dealing with a, a God-rejecting world. And when you look at Revelation 
chapter 6, the sixth seal, excuse me, the fifth seal, you find them crying out, O Lord, holy and true, how long will you do this? Now, realizing a couple of interesting things here is we're going to look at this. God is going to bring a judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness. And it says, verse 21, So I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now, I believe God knew all along. But I believe that God sometimes writes these things in his word so we'll know why God judges. Nothing escapes God. God knew Sarah's name in the same chapter. So we know God, nothing takes God by surprise. But I believe God wants us to know that God will be just. Mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So not only did he see it in person, but then he sends his angels, as we're going to see, as a witness against them, this establishing this uh, pending judgment upon these two places. And so it says here, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Now, we find the two going on to Sodom, and we find the Lord still remaining there with Abraham. And he says, Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, because again, he knew his his uh, uh, nephew Lot lived there. Would you do this to the righteous? Should be as the wicked? Far be it from you, shall you not judge all the earth to do right? Now this is where he is speaking to the Lord. Would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah this wicked city, for for 50 righteous. Notice what the Lord says. And the Lord said, not the angels, the Lord said, the two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, the Lord said, verse 26, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare uh, all of the place for their sakes. Friends, this is why I believe in a pre tribulation rapture because God would have spared this wicked city for 50 righteous. Why would God bring a judgment upon the earth when the righteous are taken out of the earth via the rapture? There would be none at that point. Yes, there will be some saved during that point, during the tribulation period, but God would have saved this awful city for 50 righteous. Would God destroy the righteous with the wicked in the tribulation period? Read the first part of, of the first three and a half years of the tribulation. It, friends, it ain't good. This idea of a mid-trib rapture, I have to reject. 
Because first of all, you find the wars, the pestilences, all these things before they even start slaughtering the Christians who become Christians during that time. And we find a quarter of the world's population is dead within the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for 50. But the deal gets better. Oh, yes, the deal gets better. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50, I'll save it. Then Abraham said, and by the way, we've seen the malevolence of Abraham washing their feet, feeding them, talking to them as they're preparing to go, all these niceties that you would do for a guest. Now we find another attribute of Abraham, which I believe, friends, is a key attribute of someone who loves God. He was an intercessor. Would you spare the city for 50? We're going to see this deal go on as it whittles clear down to 10. He was an intercessor. He was an intercessor. Now, please get this. Back east, there was a couple of churches that had church in their parking lots. People were coming, getting in their, in their cars. They were driving in the parking lot. What's really amazing is they said, who turned the church in, who allowed the drive-up church, which because of their rules and social distancing, which thank God our, our, uh, our, uh, our, uh, Attorney General uh, Barr said they had overstepped their bow, uh, their bounds in saying they couldn't meet in their cars in the church parking lot. But what turned these this church in was other churches. Turned these people meeting in their cars in a parking lot, in a church parking lot, the other churches didn't like it and turned them in. I think there's something seriously, spiritually wrong with people who do that. Now listen, if you've ever been that way as a Christian, you need to repent. We are not here to find fault with other Christians. We are here to be intercessors as Abraham was, as we find all the way through the Bible, we are to be like the Apostle Paul. We are to be intercessors, to stand in the gap. It seems that a lot of Christians just love finding fault with other people. Well, look what they did. Look what they did. Never, ever looking at themselves. Jesus said, remove the plank from your own eye so you can see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. But see, today, people who use the name Christianity, oh, I'm a Christian, and I love to find fault with everybody else, there's real problems there. Because it's not a heart of love. It's a heart of fault finding. And I believe this is one of the great problems that we're finding today. Because even the state now, and this is one of the key ways that Russia and China would operate, they would reward people for ratting out the Christians are ratting out people that were doing something that was against the state. 
Now, am I saying we, we want to let sin go by? No. If there's a child molester or something going on, hey, call the sheriff immediately. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about where Christians were jealous because this pastor chose to have cars show up in his parking light, and that's wrong. And the police came out and wrote their license numbers down and cited this church for doing that, which Barr overturned and said, no, they were within their rights. Because if that's the case, you'd have to tear down all the stop signs, stop lights, because a car would drive up behind you within two feet. You, you, they would be violating social distancing. And so you can't have it for the, it can't be illegal in the church parking lot, but be legal at uh, a Costco parking lot or a stoplight or something else like that. So the point is, we're not to be the fault finders. We're to be the intercessors. And here he said, would you, would you save the city for 50? Well, let's read on. Um, then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I am who but is but dust and ashes and have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. Some people believe this is where the term Jewing somebody down came from. I don't want to get into the ethnic implications of that. But here we find Abraham, the first Jew, going to God saying, eh, would you save it for 50? Huh? No, how about 45? Eh, save it for 45. <laughs> On down the line. Okay, let's look at this. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. And he said, let not the Lord be angry, but I will speak. Suppose there be 30 be found there. And he said, I would not do it if I find 30 righteous people. Now again, apply this to the rapture. And God takes out the righteous out of the world he then, according to what we're reading right now, would be justified to allow the tribulation to begin. But if there is 30, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? God says, nope. But wait, friends, <laughs> there's more. Verse 31. Then he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 would be found there, and he said, I would not destroy it for the sake of 20. Now, this is a big city full of wickedness, and God says, for 20 people, I would not destroy it. Now, you got to remember, Abram knew, Abraham knew that Lot, his nephew, was there. So you had Abraham, his wife, his son, and daughters, and their spouses. So, man... This is a shoe-in. So notice what he does. And he said, let not the Lord be angry, but I will speak. But once more, suppose there would be 10 found there, 10 righteous. And God said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. You'll notice there the word he is capitalized. It's always speaking about God there. So the Lord went his way, and soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. Wow. 
for 10, I will destroy the city. And again, that was almost Lot's immediate family. And still couldn't come up with 10. What I'm saying is this. When you look at the graciousness of God, the love of God, this is why I cannot believe, if you really read what those sealed judgments are in the very first part of the seven-year period of time that God judges the world, friends, a quarter of the world's population dies. Famine, pestilence is everywhere. You think the co-ed virus is bad. It could be resurgent with who knows, coupled with Ebola and, and uh, Junta virus. Who knows what uh, these enemies of humanity are capable of doing. And when you look at this, you go, my goodness, this is crazy. This could be, this could be really bad. Ten people, God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah in their wickedness. It was an extremely wicked city. When we get next week, we're going to start seeing how depra- what the level of depravity was in this city. And yet, God would have saved it for 10 righteous. You see, that's why, again, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. The Bible says God's children are not appointed to his wrath. And friends, people say, well, God's wrath has fully come because that's what it says in the, when, in the starting of the, of the, you know, bold judgments. Well, all I can tell you is this. If you look at it, it's all God's wrath. And when you really look at it, where a quarter of the world's population dies, uh, it's pretty bad, friends. So I believe today is the appointed day of salvation. I know the excuses, but listen, we're not fooling anybody. God already knows. He heard Sarah laugh. And what she was laughing over is God's going to do something really great for you. And she goes, how can that be? Because God's good. God wants to be good to you. Well, that leaves us, what are we going to do with God? Either you're a friend of God or you're not. So I would just invite you today to consider your relationship with him. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today's your day. Hey, that way it doesn't matter if I live or die, Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Hey, you win both ways. Being about your father's business, there's nothing better. Knowing that God would have spared for 10 righteous. God takes his church out of the world. There's no more righteous. God is fully justified to bring his judgment upon the earth. This morning, I pray that you are justified in Christ. You'll never be justified by your own works. You'll never be able to do enough to gain the approval of God. Our sin is that bad. Good news is Jesus gave you and me something we could never earn. And that's called eternal life. This morning, if you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, I I want you to do that. Not because I'm asking you, because you realize your need that you're not hiding nothing from God. Like I say, you might have everybody fooled, but God knows. But know this, that God wants to be good to you. God wants to give you something you've never had. Imagine the approval of God, then what's going on around me. I don't have to be Gucci. I don't have to, I don't have to be manipulated by, 
by Madison Avenue, I, 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 I'm accepted by God. I don't have to be accepted because I, I wear a certain kind of clothes or, or, or drive a certain kind of car. I'm accepted because God loves me. God loves you. See, that's why God reaches out to you today. Again, this morning, if you've never prayed and asked Jesus into your life, we're going to pray. Jesus died on the cross for you, for me, if you'll accept that. See, eternal life is a free gift. And when we repent of the stupid, silly way we've all lived to define our life, well, you know, I'm going to do this, and that's going to really make me something. It doesn't really make you anything. It makes you tired. In fact, the Bible says the lust of the eye the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life will drain the life right out of you. Have you lived long enough to figure that out? Let me ask you this way. Do you want another five years like you just had? Do you want another 10 years like you just had? If you don't, let's pray. Let's get right with God. Since he already knows your heart. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and took away my sins. So I repent now of the foolish way that I have lived. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to love people and to live for you. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life. I get to spend eternity with you and never be scared of dying ever again. And so now, take my life. In Jesus' name, amen. That's what it is. You've turned your life over to God. Now, God's going to begin his refining work in your life. Every day, we grow in him. You need to read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is a good place to just start reading John chapter 3. Because at the end of the book of John, it says these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what you need to know. That's what I need to know. His promises are good for you and me. Now, you're no longer alone. You have a God in heaven who loves you. He wants to work things through in your life, and he will. Let him. Read your Bible every day. John chapter 3, and read every day. And know your Father's voice. Know Jesus' voice. You'll see God's heart. The way he responded to critics and people that were mean. He'll, 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 in, in, the, in the words of Jesus, you'll see how, how Jesus handled those who came to him with ulterior motives and all those kinds of things that happened. God wants you to be a, a good child. Uh, maybe I should say a, a proud child of his. You see? And you'll lead many people into the kingdom of God. You say, well, I don't know what to say if I share my faith. Share what God's done for you today. That's a good place to start. Let God bless you. Let God heal you. For the rest of all of us, and you've been a Christian for a while, I pray you you understand his promises are new every morning. David said that. And if anybody needed to know that, David did. God has made that provision for you. His promises are new every morning. This morning, I just want to encourage you. Keep going. Let your light shine. Be about your father's business. Read your Bible and let God bless and heal you. If you're a new Christian, I just want to encourage you again. Be in fellowship when there's 
things go along, you know, this restrictions are lifted, be in fellowship. Because again, that's so important. You're going to get, and, and we'll have a baptism here if you're in the Southern Idaho area, or if you're someplace, find a church that believes that. Now, I want to send you a little book called Time to Grow. It's free. I'm not going to send endless streams of paper to you begging for money. I don't do that. I never have done that. All I want to do is send you a little book called Time to Grow, a couple of DVDs, God of Wonders, as well as Evolution versus God. And you can watch those, share them with your friends. If you don't have a Bible, tell me. I'll send you a Bible as well. And let God rebuild you, heal you, and, and restore you. If you're distant from God, you believe the lies of the world. You were raised in church. You knew God loved you when you were in Sunday school, but somehow the, the lies of high school and college and party life and all that stuff pulled you away from God. Welcome home. And if you need the, those DVDs and book, I'll send those to you too. But be about your father's business in these days that we live. I think we're living in exciting times. Not to despair, Casting all our cares upon him, Peter says, he cares for you. And boy, if there was anybody that had a lot of cares, it was Peter. Denying the Lord three times, but he said, casting all your cares on him, he cares for you. It means literally throwing your cares at God. Here, God, take it. I can't do it. You got a God in heaven that loves you. Well, I think we're about out of time. Looking forward to getting the church back opened up here in the next couple of weeks. And so I just want to encourage you, keep reading your Bible, keep praying, listening to CSN, tell people you meet, hey, tune in to CSN. Um, I always tell people, life, any questions? Tell them the frequency to listen to. They're going to be blessed. And so until the next time we're together, may the Lord keep you. Father, now may your hand rest upon us. Direct us and guide us. Keep us safe. Keep us healthy. And may you keep keep your, your Holy Spirit resting upon us each and every day. And we love you and cause us to always remember how you've been faithful in the past, how you'll be faithful in the future. And we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. Look forward to being back with you again and uh, look forward to getting the doors open here too. So may the Lord keep you. And again, listen to the other programs on CSN. I believe this will be repeated uh, tonight at 7 o'clock on CSN. So you can call your friends and tell them to tune in. And uh, again, being about our Father's business, so important. So until we're together again, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.